1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
2: Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman. And today we're talking about Goldilocks parenting, that just right space that helps develop children's autonomy. And talking about this is Professor Stephanie Carlton, who is a renowned developmental psychologist. Her research has contributed to the scientific understanding of the development of children's executive function skills. And she is going to talk about executive function skills in the context of what parents can do to support the growth of children's executive function skills from birth throughout childhood. So. The approach to parenting most closely linked with children's executive function skill development is autonomy supportive parenting. And that's something we can completely control because it's just about us. So I hope this is an empowering interview. And if you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review. And thank you for listening.
1: So executive function refers to the brain basis of self-control. So um, we know quite a bit about the development of the brain and particularly the prefrontal cortex, the frontmost part of the brain. And this region of the brain is primarily, primarily, although not exclusively, you know, responsible for what we call executive function. So it's basically having conscious control over your thoughts, actions, and feelings. And we as adults use this, uh, these skills all the time, including working memory. So being able to remember what you're doing, um, remembering why you came upstairs. (laughs) By the way, that exactly, that
2: sounds silly and obvious, but how many of us, how many parents are like, wait,
1: why, what was I just going to get? Right. Like, why, wait, why did I just come upstairs? So (laughs) that's um, a lapse of what we call working memory. So where you're actively holding in mind what your goal is. Mm -hmm. Um, Another skill is inhibitory control. So that's kind of that impulse control or putting the brakes on your behavior. And we see that with like dieting or um, trying to stick to an exercise program or something like that. Um, or not blurting something out that's inappropriate with your mother in law. <laughs> <laughs> and with cognitive flexibility or kind of shifting, this is being able to think flexibly and getting unstuck on a problem. An example for an adult might be um, you kind of use when we used to drive to work, um, you, Back you take, the, take the same um, route mm-hmm. uh, you know, every day, and it's kind of like an autopilot. Or you know, if you're going to the store or something, it's on autopilot, but if there is construction and there's a detour or something like that, you have to shift and think flexibly, okay, wait a minute, What's now what's the best way? Um, or what's gonna be the fastest way to get to my destination? And we use these skills in everyday life, um, particularly when we're trying to solve novel problems. And like I said earlier, you, it's when you get off of autopilot that you really need to engage your executive function skills Um, to be able to remember what you're doing, control those impulses, and think flexibly. And kids do this in a variety of ways too, although it's even more challenging for them. And um, with a young child, a preschool-aged child, for example, it's very common for them to forget what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the reason they can only handle um, a one- or two-step instruction is because if you give them like a three or four step instruction, they will only remember the first thing or the last thing that you said, and they don't remember all of the other steps because they're just not able to hold that much in their memories actively. They're very obviously, obviously tend to struggle with self-control in terms mm-hmm. of impulses. So de- they're not very good at delaying gratification in general, and they're not very good at taking no for an answer or kind of wait waiting for, um, you to get off the phone, (laughs) um, waiting for whatever it is that they're trying to get your attention for, um, waiting their turn Mm -hmm. for a, a toy or waiting their turn in line. And then with cognitive flexibility, um, children are notorious for getting really stuck on one way of thinking about something. And, um, so maybe they're trying to solve a puzzle or, um, tie their shoe, learning how to tie their shoes or, trying to figure out a new way of kind of playing an old game. And it'll be really hard for them until they have these skills more well developed and have experience of practicing these skills. They will tend to struggle with, with trying to just shift their perspective. You also see this in in a social setting where when you're trying to understand somebody else's perspective, that also requires cognitive flexibility. Um, young kids will tend to, we call them egocentric because they tend to impose their own view of things on everybody else. And so this, what's called theory of mind requires that they set aside their own egocentric perspective and instead think, wait a minute, what would it be like if I were in your shoes? And um, so executive function is really involved in all of those really important cognitive and social and emotional skills.
2: When it comes to protecting your family from COVID and protecting other people from COVID, not all masks are created equal. You need masks that provide superior protection and are comfortable enough that your kids will wanna wear them. So that's why I'm very glad that I found Blue Bear Protection. Blue Bear Protection has a mask for every task with student masks for school, three-ply disposable kids masks, and even matching mommy and me masks for kids who are having so much trouble understanding why they have to wear a mask. It makes it just a little bit more fun. And right now I have arranged an amazing special offer for my listeners, 50% off, 50% off. But only for a limited time. So go to bluebearprotection.com/slash humans today and use my promo code HUMANS H-U-M-A-N-S. It can be so challenging to get kids to wear masks. And if you have kids who are passionate mask wearers because they're at that age where they really want to save the world, it can feel really good to know that the mask that you're wearing is the right kind of mask that actually works. And just in terms of comfort, these are lightweight and breathable, but they offer serious protection. So that gives me a little bit of ease in this crazy time. Upgrade your family's masks with Blue Bear Protection today. And do not forget, for a limited time only, my listeners can get 50% off their order. But only when you order today at BlueBearProtection.com humans and use the promo code HUMANS. That's bluebearprotection.com slash humans, promo code humans.
0: Hey girl, hey! Welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all. But then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack.
2: So I guess theory of mind, you develop around age four and keep working on it. Is that accurate? That's right. Yeah. But we're all working on it forever. So it's not like you develop these skills- and then you're good. It's developed. This is something that is going to develop over time. I actually wanted to ask you, can you kind of paint a graph of a vis- a verbal graph of the growth trajectory of executive function skills mm-hmm. for like young children to school age, to adolescent and adulthood? Is that doable?
1: Visual? Yeah. I mean, without a visual? I think <laughs> so. <laughs> So we fortunately now have a number of assessments of executive function and um, starting as young as two years of age. And we've been able to use these measures to trace the developmental trajectory of executive function skills. Um, And what we tend to see in essentially using the same measure across the lifespan is um, this very steep improvement from about two to six years of age. And I mean, it's just like a vertical line. Then it starts to taper off a little bit, but is still continuing to grow substantially until uh, early adolescence, tapers off more, um, but is still continuing to grow more slowly. And then we see the peak of executive function on these neurocognitive assessments um, around the early 20s or 25 years of age or so. Um, and then unfortunately, we do see this line start oh. to trend, start to trend downward. Down. <laughs> and that is a gradual decline um, until the oldest age that we've um, assessed and normed these measures is um, 85. So it's uh, what's called an inverted U because it, it's like if you were to take a U and just kind of turn it upside down, you'd see this um, steep improvement followed by kind of a, a steadying plateau and then a gradual decline. Sigh. I know. That's on average. So not everybody um, beyond age 25 experiences a decline of executive function, but it is true on average. And that timing,
2: I assume, coincides with your prefrontal cortex getting to its
1: fullest. Is that the right way of describing it? Well or- it's it's at its most efficient Thank processing you. at that point. And we start to experience a lot of interference as we age because of all that wisdom. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so the interference can also cause some cognitive load. And our prefrontal cortex and neural networks are not as efficient as they were when we were younger. And so that could be part of the slowing.
2: Well, I want to focus on caregiving influences on executive function skill development because that feels like the only thing we can control is ourselves. But maybe briefly, can you talk about really when you come into this world, are some people more hardwired to have a more developed executive function skill trajectory or is it, you know, something everybody can
1: grow? Absolutely. It's something everybody can grow. And um, experience plays, you know, not, uh, not a supporting role, but like the, the lead role wow. in the development okay. of executive function.
2: I like, um, I like that. Say that one more time. I love that.
1: Experience is not just a supporting role in the development of executive function. It's playing the lead role. Genetics have been implicated in executive function as with Um, many, many behaviors and skills. However, we have seen that it depends largely on experience starting very early. So even though I mentioned measurement um, beginning at around age two, uh, you can start developing and cultivating these skills much earlier than that. And the role of of early experience just can't be uh, overestimated. So
2: can we talk about some of those experiences um, for those, for people listening who have babies, great. You can just start right now and then we can get into, well, what if you just heard about this today and you have an 11 year old, but let's start with the zero to three or zero to two, I think you said, Mm -hmm. those early experiences.
1: Right. One thing that babies are looking for from us is some kind of understanding of the patterns of interaction. So this helps build a predictable world for them. And everything is new at the beginning, right? And I mentioned that executive function is something that you tend to need to engage when you're in a new environment or a novel situation. Um, Early in life, of course, everything is new. And one of the ways to actually help build executive function skills is to create routines, to create, some expectations, um, in the infant. So for example, some of the common games that you, that you play in terms of communication with your infant. So even though they can't talk to you, they of course can respond to you. And there's a little bit of a proto conversation that you have kind of a, an almost conversation that you have with your infant where you make, um, you know, a cooing sound, or you speak to to your baby and the baby makes some kind of a response. So maybe it's a smile, maybe it's a coo or something like that. And you can actually take turns with each other. And that turn-taking is starting to to develop a sense of expectation in the infant that, oh, I get this. This is how this game works. And it's partly why they love peekaboo or things where there's now, there's gonna be a surprise introduced to this mm-hmm. routine. And when you introduce um, something novel, a surprise like peekaboo, they laugh because you've changed it up and they didn't expect that, right? But it's almost like you can see <laughs> their neurons growing and developing these connections happening when you play games like peekaboo. So now they're starting to say, oh, I get it. Sometimes we can play this game differently. That kind of conversational turn-taking game that we had, that serve and return game that we had, sometimes mom or dad is going to shake it up, and so that's really starting to help set set the stage for development of um, understanding cognitive flexibility. So that oh, sometimes we do it this this way, but sometimes we do it that way. But you can't you can't develop that sense of surprise and shifting until you first help them understand what the routine is.
2: Right. The predictable, stable gives them the space to be open to the change and the flexibility.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And to reflect on that change. You know, eventually with language, they can start to reflect on that change. You know, I was kind of putting words in the baby's mouth, like, oh, I get it. We play it this way. Right. Now we're going to play it that way. Of course, they're not capable yet of, of putting it that way, but it's setting the stage for them. With uh, with the onset of language, to be able to to have that kind of inner self talk. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so now they're a toddler.
1: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, with toddlers, they're going to start exploring a lot more, and um, they're going to run into problems. So just trying to figure out, for example, <laughs> they'll want to. Walk you know, through uh, a door, like go to open a door, and they'll push it, because that's how doors open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but instead, they're starting to be able to do the problem-solving and to think flexibly, so they've got the goal. The goal is to get to the other room you know, mm-hmm. to, or to get outside. Um, and they're holding that goal in mind, and the impulse is to push because I'm, I I want my body to go forward and this door needs to get out of my way. So I'm going to push it, push the door forward. Uh But what if it's the kind of door that you have to pull to open it? Right. What if it opens the other way? Mm -hmm. And again, you can kind of see their, their little minds start to think this through and be able to think flexibly. Okay. My solution isn't working. What's a new way. What's another solution to this problem? And, um, they'll start to one to three years of age. They'll start to realize, oh, wait, I can, I have to pull it open this way. Um, and they'll be able to take a step back, pull the door open and then go through. So just little problems like that, that they encounter throughout their daily lives. Um, some of it with modeling from adults, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's Mm -hmm. very helpful. If an adult can model for you how to do that. Um, but some of it is is thinking it through on their own. Just wait a minute, my way isn't working. My usual way isn't working anymore. What's another way that I can solve this problem?
2: And then as the caregiver, if you notice that they're solving a problem or they're sorting something out, is if they're figuring it out, are you naming that for them and giving words to that so that they can notice that they just, solved a problem or is that more
1: if they're having trouble? Exactly. I think, you know, it's great if caregivers can be kind of the running monologue um, (laughs) of of what's happening because then you're, you're actually giving them this, the speech, the language that they'll eventually internalize and start to say to themselves so um, whether they do it successfully or unsuccessfully, you can comment on it and, and say um, something like, "Huh, it's you know usually we, we push doors open, but that's just not working this time." Or um, if they're playing with that um, that rocket tower kind of puzzle thing where you have to you have to put the rings on the tower in a certain mm-hmm. order, otherwise you know they they're not all they're not going to fit. So if you put um, You have to put the largest ring on the on first, and then the next largest, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And that's a really tricky problem for kids because they want to put, they tend to want to put the top piece first. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, right. (laughs) And so, if you're watching your child, and kind of think that through, you can comment that, "Oh, that's you know that way isn't working. I wonder if there's another way of thinking about this." And um, that gives them, as I said, kind of the modeling for the inner speech that they'll eventually use that we use as adults to solve these kinds of problems every day.
2: Do you really know what's in your multivitamin? Sugars, GMOs, synthetic fillers, artificial colorants, not to mention animal byproducts like sheep's wool and gelatin from hooves and hides. They're all ingredients you might find in a multivitamin but Ritual is not your typical multivitamin. Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly formula is made with key nutrients and forms your body can actually use. None of the shady extras. I just started taking Ritual vitamins because I was introduced to Ritual through this opportunity. And I am really hesitant to take vitamins because of all the garbage that's in them. So I was incredibly excited to be introduced to a vitamin that I can trust and that is not putting bad stuff in when I'm trying to take good stuff. Also, you'll always know where your nutrients come from when you take ritual because thanks to their one of a kind visible supply chain, ritual is made traceable and it's available for women, men, and teens. Ritual multivitamins are scientifically developed to help support different life stages. You deserve to know what's in your multivitamin and you certainly deserve to know what is going into your teenager's body. That's why Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash humans to start your ritual today. Okay forgive me, I'm just going to keep going in age order and then we'll go, we'll go back. Let's think about a preschooler. Is it more expanding on that narration?
1: Yeah. So preschoolers um, will encounter a lot of executive function challenges throughout the day, uh, even though, you know, their skills are developing, but they're starting to explore ever new, ever more challenging kinds of problems. And they're also starting to be asked if they're any kind of a in any kind of a early education setting, they're starting to be asked to stay seated for a while or to pay attention to the same thing or the same activity for a while. And that presents a new challenge for preschool age kids. And, And in a group setting where there might be a little bit more competition for toys and attention. So. Modeling, again, that narration, giving them opportunities to talk through their own problems, um, to hold a goal in mind, a really good way to do that is to keep saying it out loud and to not let yourself get distracted. So, for example, um, if goal is to, um, you know, clean up these toys right now before you go to the next activity, Uh then you can introduce the cleanup song and the cleanup song. Everybody knows the cleanup song, the, right? The cleanup song is keeping the goal active. So it's, ah. it's fun to sing and to listen to others. Do you want sing to sing it? it? Do you want to sing it? To <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't possibly, but
2: you have uh, to have a little kid there to inspire it. Yeah, I think so. But it's, <laughs> it's,
1: it's also serving um, as a working memory reminder. Nice.
2: I never thought about it that way. I've always thought about it as just the routine of it. But of course, I still do that, by the way, not with cleanup songs, because I have teenagers and or tweens and teens, but with myself to remember things I do often, like we were saying in the beginning, walking up the stairs and thinking about what you had to do. Sometimes I'm just like, I just, <laughs> this is what I need to do right now. Do not go off course. And I just keep Saying it to myself. Maybe I shouldn't disclose that, but I, those are tools I still need.
1: And sure, working at home, especially when yeah. there are so many tasks mm-hmm. that, um, and in these different categories, of, there are home based tasks and there are work based tasks, and it's very, very easy to get them mixed up. Um, it sure is. <laughs> it sure is. Actually, the, the heartening thing
2: that Phil Zelazo said uh, a couple episodes ago was is that funny cuz your your colleagues but married colleagues just ruling the world of executive function <laughs> skill research it's kind of extraordinary but he said this time for kids and older kids who are doing online school they do have to use their cognitive flexibility this is a completely different way of operating and maybe that will exercise those muscles. I thought that was heartening in, mm-hmm. at a time when there's, you know, I'll, ha- I'll hang on to anything that feels like it could be of benefit. For sure.
1: Yeah. And there are a lot of COVID, you know, time kinds of activities too that can be beneficial, you know, even while you're you're sort of struggling with all of the home-based learning and... Screens—the sort of battle against yes, the screens. Um, but you know, even even screen time can turn into something that can exercise these skills. So you know, if, even if the ed- edutainment um, mm-hmm. itself is not focusing on executive function explicitly, there are, of course, all of the self-regulation tasks that happen around screens. So, for example, there might be limits on how many, you know, minutes or hours a day. It was minutes, it's now hours. I know. (laughs) Yeah. And it has gone up, um, on average about an hour a day for preschool kids, non-school, non-school related screen time, but it is, it creates a new opportunity to have some rules and regulations so that kids can learn how to self-regulate and use some scaffolds like timers and, um, sharing, um, turn-taking with siblings in in terms of who gets the tablet when, and, you know, it's created some new opportunities at the same time that it's,
2: I mean, I love that. I I just love the, that attitude in general that you can even think about emotion regulation as your preschooler has to experience the devastation over having like ending the show and having to return the tablet to the sibling or whatever it is. That's, that's a really, um, adaptive outlook. I'm so excited to hear that.
1: Thank you. And, and there are a lot of things you can do too, um, with a preschool age child. Um, we talked about, you know, the, 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 the running monologue mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they can also help you at the same time where with working memory, for example, um, if you're going to the store or if you're, you know, ordering online, you can tell your child, okay, we, we need to remember, you know, three things and you can make it age appropriate. So, you know, you can can go up to seven things um, with an older child. Okay. There's seven things that we have Mm -hmm. to remember um, to, to put on the list or to go get at the store. And can you help me? And you kind of prep them before you go, before you go in, can you help me remember what those, you know, two, three, five, seven things are and make a game out of it. So kids really like to also catch you in making a mistake. So if you, if (laughs) you blank, if you blank on what the fifth thing was that you were supposed to get, you know, they love having the chance to show you up.
2: So that gets us into school age kids, I guess, engaging them and listing them to help with activities like that is a great example. What else can school-age mm-hmm. kids do? Or not so much what can the school-age kids do, what can the caregivers of school-age kids do to create that environment?
1: Well, so giving them lots of practice. So that's one thing is just, okay, what are some ways that um, you can give your child practice in these skills? And one of the principles that um, I'm sure my colleague, Phil Zalazo, mentioned <laughs> is, is reflection. So opportunities for reflection on, and what I, what I mean by that is basically thinking twice, how can you, how can you get, you know, help your child or yourself rethink something or just think about it again. And that's because often our very first reactions to things um, are regrettable. And if we get to think about it a second time, we, we, might react in ways that are more consistent with our goals. So getting in that habit of
2: throwing out the first pancake in a way.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: So how, how early do you start that reflection and how do you reflect? I mean, that's ridiculous sounding, but I think concrete examples of reflection, because I think we take for granted that we reflect as adults, but we often really don't. So I think it's it's worth taking the time to think about how we can reflect and what are those moments when you can I don't know if interrupt is the right word but um, get in there to to inspire reflection. Is it before a mistake is made? Is it after a mistake is made? Is it you know not related to a mistake? It's just part of the process.
1: That's a great question, and um, we're actually developing an app. Uh, right now that parents and kids can use together. And we're building in reflection prompts. And that's awesome. When's that going to be ready? (laughs) Oh, stay tuned. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. it will come back. Yeah. But it's, so the answer is kind of like all, all three. Um, So you want to, you, you can give reflection prompts. Um, And again, it's just kind of giving kids an example of the kind of inner talk that we'd like them to start to develop. So you can use reflection when kids are successful, when they, mm-hmm. they when they do something well or, or right or correctly, or, you know, consistent with their goals, something at like, wow, you remembered all those things that we needed at the store. Um, or in the context of this, this app, they have to find all the hidden animals and remember where they're hidden. And so you could just say, you know, wow, you're, you're really good at remembering. How did you remember all of them? Hmm. And so just getting them to stop and reflect on, wait, yeah, how did I do that? And we, we even use the word strategy, which sounds like a big word, but preschoolers um, can pick up on it pretty readily with just a few, a few instances. So you can say things like you, you found um, all those animals. What was your strategy? So that's, that's um, reflection in su- the case of success, uh-huh. Um, you can also have reflection before they respond. So now wait a minute. Where are your eyes looking right now? So they're they're supposed to track you know where the things are hidden. Um, now wait a minute, where is your attention focusing right now? If they make a mistake, then it's another opportunity for reflection, of course, to to um, you know, reflect on the errors, monitor the errors. So for example, you know, uh uh-oh, there was no animal in that, in that box. Uh, you know, uh, I wonder what, I wonder where, um, all of the animals are. Were you remembering where you'd already looked before? Um, so just again, those kinds of questions that you can ask them to get them to, to think twice before, during, and, and after, you know, errors and successes reflection can be especially helpful when the task is to regulate your emotions. Mm -hmm. And so encouraging pausing. So slowing things down is a really big part of this. And Mm -hmm. one thing that we, we consistently forget as adults when working with kids is how much slower their speed of processing is. So speed of processing has to do with um, neural connections in the brain and literally the speed at which signals can pass, um, from, from, you know, one neuron to the next. And it is much slower in young kids and we're always rushing them, right. (laughs) Always rushing them to act, to respond and, and stuff. And sometimes they just literally need more time and, um, you can give them that extra time and even encourage it. And I think if we if games and teachers in educational settings, if we would stop rewarding speed mm-hmm. and instead start rewarding actually slowing down, then we would help kids develop these skills more effectively. So really, whatever you can do to to slow it down and create just create that space oh, space right yeah, the space and to, you know, validate and allow the bad feeling that's happening right now, but also allowing the time, you know, the time to pass, giving them the time to pass to collect themselves. And this doesn't mean distraction um, necessarily, Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're getting upset. You know, let me quickly distract you with this other thing. It, It means kind of letting it happen and, giving them the time that they need to to collect themselves so you can use this reflection talk at the same time like this is really upsetting right now isn't it and you know helping them you know we say use your words right um Mm -hmm. so sometimes you have to give them those words because they don't have access to them exactly yeah
2: Jane.com is a boutique marketplace featuring the latest in women's fashion, trends, accessories, home decor, children's clothing, toys, and more. Jane.com features hundreds of new products every day, offering you everything you need to live your best, most stylish life. So every day is a sale at Jane.com. They offer a wide variety of categories and styles, so you can find something for everyone and everything in your life even your dog or cat. Over 400 new products drop daily. Everything from apparel for the whole family, home decor, toys, novelty items, kind of you name it. And if you love a good deal, or you like to seize savings, definitely go to jane.com. jane.com products only last for a limited time. So it's kind of fun, see what you can catch. And by shopping at jane.com, you support small businesses. They offer products and name brands from over 2,000 shops at great prices. So find your next discovery at jane.com slash humans. So let's use the um, giving the tablet to their sibling challenge is there a moment of like, okay, let's, before, before we embark on the next show, let's think about what your plan is for when Mm -hmm. you have to give it to your sister or am I confusing reflection and planning?
1: I think, I think they're, they're very much intertwined in that, Mm -hmm. especially in that example of, um, so planning is, um, an act of, pausing before initiating mm-hmm. an action or, you know, progress toward a goal. And if you can at first, at least help them say it out loud, mm-hmm. um, then that helps with maintenance of the goal in memory and with inhibiting distractions that might come, come along and with, you know, thinking flexibly if they need to. Um, and, if,
2: and then if you're using the example of the, of what happened prior, you can use that as the reflection.
1: Right. Remember how how last time, <laughs> huh. um, remember how last time you didn't want to, you know, stop playing with the tablet and, you know, you felt really upset and then you know, then this happened or something like that. But it, it all worked out in the end, didn't it? And, you know, something like that. And one of my favorite people in the world, Ellen Galinsky.
2: Oh, yeah, um, of course. That's how <laughs> I know you in the first place. I forgot.
1: <laughs> right so she I love her stories about her grandson and mm-hmm. she always says uh, to him to say what's your plan B? And I love that because it's saying okay you know there's going to be let's say it's some tablet time and you put a limit on it up front like it's going to be for x number of minutes right. or you know until dinner is ready or whatever the limit is and um You can anticipate that it's going to be difficult to to end this fun activity, right? Um, But she, so she always says to him, "What's your plan B?" Meaning, you know, when this gets taken away, right? How are you going to manage that? Or if things don't go as planned, how are you gonna how are you going to manage that? And uh, I think it's just a brilliant strategy. You know, with teenagers or and I mean
2: kind of the emerging adolescents the 11 to 13, 14, I guess that's pretty much teenagers, pretty deep in, but um, early teenage years, what, you know, as they're less interested in your reflection and your support of their reflecting on what's happening, are there fun phrases like what's your plan B, but that don't, piss off a teenager. (laughs) I'm Um, trying to think if I have any, I I know that most of the time my kids are like, don't do your thing on me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And also I have to be careful with my language because it's so, as I imagine you experienced of like your kids knowing your work too much. (laughs)
1: Right. Yes. And they've you know, they've been in the marshmallow test <laughs> studies um, when they were growing up and they will say, yeah, when they were teenagers, they would say, oh my God, I know, I know, reflect. I know, I know. Exactly. Reflection.
2: Although I'm sure they did it any, like it's like even the eye rolls and the I know, I know, they still know, like it's still a That's voice right. in their head, right?
1: Yeah. And now that they're, my daughters are in their um, early 20s, they they really appreciate it. I mean, they- it really did get through this idea and you can do it in more subtle ways too. like, just, I started just buying blank journals for mm. for my teenage daughter and it was kind of like no pressure, but they were just sort of lying around, you know? And then eventually she would start picking them up and, you know, reflecting in a journal, I think, and this is going to speak to the autonomy piece a bit too, but giving them responsibilities, increasing, you know, age-related, age-appropriate responsibilities, chores, if you will, um, is, I think, really beneficial to the development of autonomy and um, to developing a feeling of self-efficacy. And that's really what what we're trying to cultivate there. and And, and why that matters for executive function or how that's related to executive function is that if kids feel like they have some agency over their own actions and that their actions matter, like their actions, you know, kind of make things happen in the world. Like, you know, here in Minnesota, it's, it's shoveling the walk, you know, and it's sort of like, Oh, you know, I, they get to look back on, on that. I'm not sure how they feel about it, but they do look back on it. You know, and they look at, at all the shoveling that, that they accomplished and there is this feeling of like okay you know my actions matter even though it wasn't entirely their idea to do it it was you know an obligation that they had they're starting to develop this sense of responsibility and taking pride in some of those things that they can do so those are and and that is important in terms of cultivating this sense of control so if you have a sense of um kind of like i did it and you have a sense of oh wow, and my actions matter. Then you start to develop a sense of um, oh wow, and I I had a choice over you know which action to do. So I could I could say yes to to mom on the first you know try, or I could um, you know keep saying no and get in trouble. Um, and my choices start to matter. And recognizing that you have a choice in how to act, think, or feel breeds this understanding that and and cultivates the ability to control how you act, think, or feel. And so back at the beginning, I was defining executive function as this conscious control over our thoughts, actions, and feelings. And I think kids of all ages and adults need to recognize that they have some choice in how to act, think, or feel. And um, then when they make a decision, they own it, right. And they own the consequences of it. And it, um, you know, just helps to, to strengthen and and make these skills more robust with practice. I won't say it better than you, but my
2: understanding is that autonomy supportive parenting is more closely linked with better developed executive function skills. So that stands to reason that if you're in, if you're interested as a parent in a child's Executive function skill development—that's the kind of parenting that you want to cultivate. Not as like a you're a bad parent or a good parent if you do it, but just if you're interested in this, these are some ways that you can cultivate that in the interactions that you have with your kids. Is
1: that right? Yeah, we've in my lab we've observed hundreds of um, families, mothers uh, and fathers, not together usually, but, you know, either the mom or the dad Mm -hmm. with, um, their toddler preschool age child. And we look at how they interact naturally. I mean, semi-natural they're in a lab, you know, after all, but we look at how they basically solve puzzles together, play games together. They're just a little bit too hard for the child to do on their own. So they need the parents help. And we look at how the parents help. And it is really important to emphasize that these aren't bad parents, right? But there are individual differences in kind of what comes naturally, a style of parenting that comes na- more naturally to some than others. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're kind of looking at three different styles. Um, and so one is controlling. And controlling is when the parent is rushing the child, We talked about, you know, kind of time for reflection is needed, but they're rushing the child. They're prioritizing the end goal, which is um, let's say finishing the puzzle as opposed to prioritizing the journey Mm -hmm. (laughs) of of, of getting there um, and things that the child could learn along the way. And they might, you know, in the course of that, start doing things for the child, they might say, oh, this is too hard for you. I'll do it for you and not follow the child's pace. And, you know, might even be um, a bit brusque in terms of, you know, well, we just need to get this done. Um, Or, you know, the lady said we need to get this done. So let's Mm -hmm. just get this done. Or sometimes the parent makes it kind of, they get competitive about it, even even with their own child, right? They get a little (laughs) competitive about it. And we'll say things like, um, oh, you don't, you know, you don't know how these kinds of things work. I know how these kinds of things work. And it's, you know, it's nothing that we would call child protective services on. <laughs> it's just <laughs> that, it's just that it's, oh, that wasn't, it's like, that was a missed opportunity. It's, it's
2: that, it's a missed right? opportunity. Yeah, how you,
1: how you feel about it. Um, another style that we see is called laissez-faire. And laissez-faire is um, when the parents are, uh, the parent might, recognize that the child, well, I guess I would say fail to recognize that the child is struggling a little too much. Mm. So, um, this is where the parent really hangs back and doesn't actually offer enough help. And, um, they might even be kind of ignoring the child maybe on their cell phone and, you know, the child's kind of struggling and occasionally looking up at the parent, the parent's attention is on the phone and, um, the child is floundering. So they're not, again, that's another missed opportunity because they can't really get very far on their own and they're not getting the help they need from the parent. Mm -hmm. And then the third style, and this is sort of what, you know, we call just right, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, happy medium here is where the parent is monitoring their child's level of struggling and, um, you know, understanding, you know, what's the, the perfect match here between the child's current competence with this puzzle, let's say, and how much struggling they're doing, how much effort they're having to put into it. So you want to find this kind of um, nice balance point between competence and effort and that the, the task should be hard, right? And that's, again, we're not, we're not building executive function skills if everything is Is easy Easy. on autopilot. So it needs to, you know, needs to be engaging, challenging, and the parent is offering just enough support. And so they might, for example, in, you know, I like to give this example of kind of shoving the, you know, the, the piece that would really help things go along here on the puzzle, like one of the corner pieces or something. Yeah. You, you, you nudge that into their field of vision. So then they look down and there it is. And, um, And that's just such a slight difference in behavior from the parent who says here,
2: you know, start with this this corner.
1: Yeah. Start here or this piece goes here. Mm -hmm. Instead, if the child discovers it, then they try it and they might look at the parent. You know, there's a lot of triangulation of looking at, you know, looking at the task, looking at the parent, looking back at the task Mm -hmm. and they, the parent might, you know, kind of give a, an, an approving. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you try that one? And then they do. And then who gets the credit and who feels great about it? It's the kid, right? And it's that I did it and, you know, they're sort of chuffed about it and they, um, you know, want to keep doing it. They want to, you know, keep working on the puzzle Mm -hmm. and they're starting to build that sense of um, I did it of agency and and autonomy and, you know, I'm capable of doing things. And um, yeah. And, and so that, that, Autonomy supportive parent will will offer the child choices too. We talked about choices, and that would be you know. Well, do you think do you think we should use this one or this one, or do you think this one goes here or this one goes here? And again, just that little nudge of you're constraining the problem space for them, right? So there might be you know twenty four pieces, and, and it's too many um, to to think about all at once. But if you constrain the problem space down to two, you know I think one of these might go here next. Which one do you think it is? Again, they've made the choice. They own it. They are either successful or not successful with it. They go back, they try the other one. And um, ultimately they're developing the sense that I have control over my world. I have control over my actions and my feelings and my thoughts.
2: Wonderful. So, and, and there are of course times that we're all a little bit more controlling than we would like somebody to be imagining in a videotaped assessment or a little bit laissez faire looking at our phones or just thinking like, I'm sure you'll figure it out, but it's just on balance. What do you do most of the time?
1: Right. And and yeah, we're not always our best selves. Um, Any parent knows that. And, you know, so I remember, you know, I kind of know this stuff. And yet (laughs) I remember trying to get my kids to preschool Mm-hmm. And, you know, my daughter, Natalie, wanted to learn how to tie her shoes. And she really insisted on doing her own shoes. Which is so and, wonderful, but takes right? a long time. Because I, I guess i made her too autonomous, right? Yeah. And then, but then it, it was like some days it was just, oh my God, <laughs> you know, we're going shoeless. Right. Because we, we just have to get in the car right now. Right. 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 And so there are those moments. Um, so I don't think that it's, we haven't found a, a magic cutoff anyway, but what our research shows is that more is better of autonomy supportive. So it's correlational research. So more is better um, with respect to um, executive function outcomes in kids. And um, at least, you know, the, the preschool age samples that we've tested. And then another really important finding is that the parents' own executive function.
2: That was Um, just what I was going to ask you. Okay.
1: Yeah. So the parent's own executive function Mm -hmm. in our research is really strongly correlated with how autonomy supportive they are. Right. Right. And their own executive function, of course, is also correlated with their child's executive function, but that could just be genetics or, you know, just modeling or something. And maybe it doesn't have anything to do with like parenting per se. Um, So we studied this, um, this is with my student, Rebecca DiStefano, um, Ellen Galinsky was also part of this research as well as Phil Zalazo and um, Megan McClelland. And we found that the parents' own executive function predicted how autonomy supportive they, are, they, they were, which in turn predicted the child's executive function.
0: Right,
2: so if you struggle with this, putting your efforts on to getting hold of your executive function skills or just paying attention to that will help. Like we, we do need to pay attention to our own, but I mean, that's, I think true in most things with parenting.
1: Right. So, yeah. So slowing down ourselves, you know, having that space just kind of between, you know, when something happens that seems to call for a response or a reaction, Mm -hmm. um, putting a space between that and the reaction itself or, you know, the response itself. Mindfulness is really effective mm-hmm. for cultivating executive function skills in adults and more and more research is suggesting that the same is true for adolescents and children as well. So there are things that um, adults definitely can do. It's never too late to work on developing mm-hmm. executive function skills and it, you know, could well benefit your children if you do.
2: Is there something that parents can do to be reflect, self-reflective to notice if they are bending a little too controlling or a little too laissez-faire is to get them to that Goldilocks, just right parenting mm-hmm.
1: interaction? I think if parents could ask themselves, is this starting to matter more to me <laughs> than to my kid? You know, <laughs> yeah right mm-hmm. who who is this for,
2: really? <laughs> you know? That's a great question to ask ourselves,
1: yeah I, I'm sorry, I forget your other um other part of your question
2: well, really, that was that was on the controlling side, mm-hmm. and then, if you're trying to be autonomy supportive, but you're actually being laissez faire like it's not because you're not paying attention or engaged, but you genuinely are just thinking well, I, I want them to do it for themselves. Is there some, some measure that you can, or question that you can ask yourself to be reflective, to recognize if your child just needs a little bit of support, which maybe brings us into the other thing that I wanted to touch on, which is stress mm-hmm. and, and balancing, you know, the just right amount of stress. And maybe that is the reflection that you can have. I'm not sure.
1: Mm-hmm. I think we can all like start to, or learn to recognize the signs in our own kids of when they're hitting that overload point, Mm -hmm. when this is um, this has now transitioned from being effortful uh, and, and moderately challenging to something that is, you know, about to lead to a total breakdown or Mm -hmm. um, about to really crush their, their confidence. And so being attuned to those signs, those nonverbal and verbal signs in your own child. And there are individual differences too. I mean, my, kid, my kids are very different from one another, mm-hmm. but uh, you can kind of help, help foster that resilience in them by knowing the signs of when to push further, when to pull back. Because if stress does turn toxic, so to speak, then we do know that that is um, harmful for these brain networks um, that are underlying executive function skills. So mild stress is actually beneficial for the development of these skills. And it's part of the, you know, challenges and daily hassles and Mm -hmm. um, figuring, figuring out how to manage those Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, strengthening those those executive function skills, um, and resilience, but when it's, um, uncontrollable stress and chronic, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of a, a chaotic, chronic, uncontrollable, pervasive stress, then, and, and, you know, unfortunately that type of stress is, you know, more often seen in, you know, poverty related life experiences Mm -hmm. and adverse adverse child experiences so now we're into a whole other topic so (laughs) I can
2: we can close up this one but yeah that's another one you're in really amazing your research is so incredible and I'm so thrilled that you're also moving it towards practical applications for families and, and schools in the way that you are and that you have an app that will eventually come out. That's so great for all of us.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And I really want to say how impressed I am with the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. I mean, it's the course that, you know, Thank I got you. to review the course. And I know, I so appreciate yeah, that. You guys uh, just did an incredible job and I'm so happy that pediatricians, which is that's, you know, First 90, line, ninety plus percent, thankfully, yeah. um, of kids, regardless of socioeconomic status, will see a pediatrician um, several times in those first few years. And the fact that you guys are communicating and educating at that point is really, really heartening. And um, I'm just so happy that we we're able to share some of this information that you, you know, with yeah. Ellen's help. I'm sure you know, kind of yes considered this that it's not it's not just about although you do a great job on like sleep and toilet training and everything but that's else, not but that's not just right but this you know the fact that their psychological development not just emotional but their psychological development is mm-hmm. something that you know you're you're taking seriously and educating these uh, physicians about so that you know then teachers and, um, and you know, psychologists and clinicians, you know, hopefully we'll have it, have it a little bit easier. So we have some resources for families there.
2: Great. Okay. So families can go to reflection sciences now.
1: Yes. Yes. And so we have a free 30 minute, uh, I believe it's 30, it might be 60. Um, but we have a free course on executive function for parents and talks about a lot of the things in a much briefer form um, than I talked about much more efficiently, I'm sure, and um, uh, articulately. But that course is something that parents can access. And then there's also an activities guide Mm -hmm. of things that you can do at home. This is for preschool age kids, kind of two to five. Um, Lots of things that you can do at home to build executive function skills. So
2: I'll put those in the show notes so people can click on the link and... Go for it. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you.